Welcome, and thank you for listening to this audio sermon from Lighthouse Baptist Church. For more information about our ministry, go to lbccincy.com. And now for the message from our speaker. John chapter 19. You know, you never know when, uh, when you're going to be out of commission. You know, I mean, some, sometimes things... Uh, come up to where you, you don't expect them, but then you got to make some adjustments to them. And uh, I appreciate the fact that Brother Lang called me and uh, gave me this I consider to be an opportunity. I love to preach, and, and hopefully that uh, um, somebody asked me if it'd be all right if they fell asleep tonight. I said, well, I'd, I'd rather have you sleeping here than sleeping at home. Amen. So uh, that's okay. maybe you might pick up something with osmosis. I uh, need to pray for Brother Lang as far as his, his feet are concerned. Uh, it's kind of hard to run the race you know, as far as uh, having bad feet like that. And uh, he's, he's no longer a little footloose and fancy free. Uh, but, uh, and uh, might be uh, might be a little. A little, little easier for him to stick his foot in his mouth. I don't know, but uh, 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 we we're not going to camp there. Wow, John chapter nineteen. By the way, uh, let me say this: my wife says thank you. Those of you that sent cards and showed us, gave expressions of of your kindness to her, uh, we appreciate that. She's uh, she's on the mend. Uh, she didn't come out today because uh, with all this going up here, she didn't want to take a chance on maybe catching a bug, getting a cold, or something like that there, which would uh, turn it into something a, a lot more uncomfortable. Uh, but hopefully she'll be back next week, and uh, we're, lo- we're looking forward to that. And uh, so thank you to all of you and those of you that told me to, one person told me to go home and, and gave her a hug. So I gave her a hug today for, for you, okay? And... Uh, uh, Frank told me to go home and slap her, but I didn't do that. I, I, I didn't do that. Uh, I, I gave her a hug and said, Frank, this is from, this is from Frank. And, and uh, so, see, I'm a good guy, Frank. I'm a good guy. John chapter 19, verse number 28 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for your word. And Lord, it's, it's good to be with the brethren. And Lord, it's good that we can laugh and just enjoy each other's presence. And Father, as we look into your word tonight, this is not a laughing matter. uh, But yet, Lord, our souls can be blessed because of your word. And I pray that you'll help us, Lord, to to think on your word tonight. And uh, Father, I pray that uh, we will allow it to affect our hearts, our lives, our minds, our way of thinking, our actions. Lord, I just pray that your, your word would uh, accomplish.
accomplish what you wanted to accomplish uh, tonight in your children. And we will certainly give you all the glory and give you all the honor. And uh, as Lord, we pray for edification tonight through your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, it's somewhat of a paradox that our Lord was born to die. I mean, that, that's, that's why he was born. All others were born to live. Okay? Uh, yes, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. But we're born to live. He was born with the specific purpose of dying. Uh, you see, he was the one on whom disease had no hold, and death had no claim upon him. He was born in order to be capable of dying. Think about that. Where he came from, he, he is from eternity past. He is eternal. A disease could not affect him. Death could not touch him. So something had to change, if you would. Something had to occur to where he could he could be capable of dying for the sin of mankind, which was the plan of God from the foundation of the earth. You see, his, his death on Calvary was the supreme purpose of his birth in Bethlehem. And, uh, you know, very, very seldom do we focus upon his death at Bethlehem. When we think about Bethlehem, we, 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 think, we, we call it Christmas, we, we, we sing songs about his incarnation, we hear messages upon the, the Virgin Mary about there's no room in the inn, uh, about the wise men, about the shepherds, about the angels' announcements, about Joseph, and, and we should. Those are, those are all good things that we, but very seldom do we really think about he was born to die. There's a Christmas cantata that's out called Born to Die. I'm not sure you heard it. I don't know. But, uh, and, and, and it emphasizes that particular point. And I believe that we can see in Scripture that he had more than just one thing in mind when he was on the cross and he said, it is finished. And we, we, we know that. We've heard that many times. It is finished. Well, what's finished? You know, we can, we can speculate. We can see some things in the scriptures that is finished. In fact, I'm going to bring a few things out tonight. And, and there's, there's more. There's no question about it. There's more. And uh, some may be more important than what I'm going to bring out. But it, he said it is finished on when he was there on the cross. I think one thing that we can see that perhaps he was referring to when he said it is finished, what is finished is his own terrible suffering. Uh, just as, as the Bible says here in verse number 30, it says, um, he says, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So if this was not the last thing he said, it was one of the last things that he said before he gave up the ghost, before he died. And his suffering was over. The suffering that he had endured in the last several hours and for approximately three years, 
as it culminated there at the cross, it was over. It was finished. You think about his suffering for a moment. You think of Gethsemane when he was in the garden there. Uh, blood red sweat oozed through his pores. The Bible says he, he, he sweat great drops of blood. Uh, there in the garden, he was betrayed with a kiss from a man he called a friend. He was betrayed. After he was arrested there in the garden, he was, he was off to the palace of Caiaphas, and he goes under, he goes there to, to go under the false, uh, under a, into a false trial where he is falsely accused, where he is uh, uh, um, uh, lied about. And, and uh, I mean, it's just, it's just a farce. It's a fake trial. I, I think, by the way, this is uh, perhaps the scriptural place where we find the beginning of CNN. I don't, I don't know, but uh, that's, that's a possibility, okay? And if you, <laughs> that, that's a possibility. But, but then from, uh, you know, after or, or during the false trial, the spitting upon him begins, uh, the cuffing, the binding of him, the smiting begins there on his way to Caiaphas and on his, uh, there while he's there in the palace of Caiaphas. In the early morning, after all night of this fake trial, he's no doubt tired, he's bruised, he's bound, and he's pushed before Pilate, and then he's pushed before Herod, where there he is mocked by the guards and uh, made fun of and, and uh, jeered at. And then he goes back before Pilate uh, for the, uh, the scourging. They strip him of his clothes. Uh, he, they put a scarlet robe upon him as his back is bloodied. And uh, the blood is beginning to uh, coagulate. They put the robe on him. And then later on they strip it off, which makes the, the wounds bleed more, bleed again. Uh, they, they make a crown of thorns, and they don't just gently lay it upon his head. They no doubt put it upon his head and, and maybe uh, uh, smack it down to where it pierces his brow. And, and of course, we all know that head wounds, they... They bleed uh, a great deal. And, and to be quite honest with you, physically it was painful. It was painful for them uh, to do that. They find a, a scepter of a reed. They made him a, a scepter out of a reed, again mocking him. They buffeted him. They, they uh, blindfolded him and smacked him and say, who is it that, that did that? They hit him around. They beat him around. But actually, they treated him no differently than they treated common criminals of the day. Remember, there were two other guys that were crucified uh, at the same time, and there's no reason for us to think that they did not receive the same treatment that Jesus received as far as the physical abuse is concerned. Then after that comes the shouldering of the cross. He's weary by now. He drags the cross as close to Calvary as he can get, they realize that he's not going to make it. They find someone else to carry the cross for him. He gets to Calvary, perhaps uh, by, uh, under his own power, or maybe not. Maybe he's carried there. He's laid on the cross. They drive those iron spikes through his flesh, 
which is now probably convulsing and quivering because of the loss of blood and because of the, the, the excruciating pain that he's experiencing. They prop up the cross. That in itself could probably ex be excruciatingly painful. Uh, he is now suspended just by nails. Just the nails that are driven in his hands and his feet. He's still bleeding, and uh, he is literally in utter torture, physically. Picture him hanging there, if you would. Whatever picture you might have, it's very close, probably, to being accurate. He's hung between heaven and earth as though he's not fit for either one, and neither one wants him. He's hanging there. He's completely naked. Our Catholic friends will have a crucifix, and he's not naked on their crucifix. But he was naked. They stripped him of all of his clothes. That's part of the, of the crucifixion. They, they not only uh, uh, physically abused him, they emotionally abused him. The shame that was there. As he was... On that cross, he got uh, the crucifixion began about nine o'clock in the morning. The sun was coming up. It was very, very hot. The sun was beating down upon him. Every single movement that he made produced tremendous physical pain. But Jesus says it's finished. It's all over. You ever, you ever, anybody ever hit their thumb with a hammer or hit their hand with a hammer? Anybody ever do that? You know, it always feels better when it stops hurting. Did you know that? It, it always does. But when that happens, when there's a painful experience, we have it in the back of our head that, you know, it, it can't stop hurting soon enough. But when it stops hurting... Oh my, isn't that a great feeling? It's finished. It's, it's over with. But somebody said that the soul of his sufferings was the suffering of his soul. Think about this for a moment. The inward agony that made him sweat blood. I've sweat a lot in my lifetime, but never blood. I might have had some wounds that got mingled in with it, but not sweat of blood. But this, this, was, this was emotional. Uh, this, was, this was mental anguish. And, and, and that agony that made him sweat blood. And then uh, thinking about and even having there on the cross the tremendous pressure of the great weight of the sin of the world. He was bearing that. By the way, your sin is part of that. My sin is part of that. And we might think of all the, all the people in, in the world. My, mine's just a small part of that. That pain, that small amount of, of sin, my friend, caused excruciating pain to our Lord Jesus Christ. And then think about the, the deep darkness and the loneliness 
which caused him to cry out there on the cross in the midst of everybody who was watching, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knew, but he cried out in his human form, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He had never been separated from his father in all of eternity up to this point. Never. Never experienced loneliness. But my friend, when you get lonely, you can be assured of one thing, that he understands loneliness. He understands separation. He, he understands all about that. He was literally God forsaken as he bore our sins on the cross. He, one man, bore our sins on the cross. He did it voluntarily. He did it at the direction of the Father. He was sent to this earth to do that. There was no objection from him. There was no hesitation from him. And here he was, after his prayer to the Father in Gethsemane the night before, hanging on the cross, bearing the sin of the world. Now you think of the love, my friend, that our Lord Jesus had for us. A love that would suffer like he did for us, for our sakes. Not for him, for our sakes. Could, could we ever thank him? You know, the question comes, can we ever thank him enough? No. Can we ever thank him half enough? Can we ever praise him half enough? Can, can, can we ever love him half enough? The answer to that, of course, is no. But uh, another thing I want you to see is his, finished, his, suffer, his suffering is finished. He said, it is finished. Now, whether that was what he was referring to or not, that certainly is true. It's finished. And then he bowed his head, the Bible says, and he gave up the ghost. In other words, he died. There was no more physical pain. There was no more mental anguish. There, there was no more um, uh, um, watching others betray him or forsake him. There was none of that, that emotional pain. It's all finished. That's a good thing. But at the same time, I don't think that we can doubt that when our Lord Jesus cried, it is finished, that he referred to his vicarious, that means substitutionary, achievement of redemption. Redemption was finished. He achieved redemption for you and for me, for everyone. You see, many, there, there are many supernatural abnormalities that are reported in the Bible but the, the, the cross, the cross utterly outclasses them all. All of them. I mean, when we, think of, when we think of the Bible, we think of miracles, don't we? I mean, there's a lot of things we might think of the Bible, but one of the things is, is the miracles. I mean, you, you think about the, the dividing of the Red Sea for the, the traveling Jews wanting to get out of Egypt. And then you think of the gushing water that came out of the rock that God told Moses to smite. And then there's the, the three Hebrew children unharmed amid the burning, fiery furnace. 
And, and we, we, we think about the, the floating axe head. And, and we think about uh, uh, the manna from heaven. And, and we, we, we put them all under the category of miracle. But my friend, the cross is in the realm of super miracle. We hear it so much, sometimes we may have a tendency to take it for granted. And, well, that's just part of our religion. You know, we, we hear about it so much. But marvel at this, my friend, that, that the eternal God could die. And, and then still more, that he would die. And most of all, that he actually did die. As our substitute sin bearer on Calvary. He did that for us. And my friend, I, I mentioned it before, but he had to be born into our humanity to be even capable of dying. It was a choice for him to come to this earth knowing what was going to happen, knowing why he was here. You say, well, preacher, Luke 19.10 says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that is absolutely true. But there would be no salvation Without the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. He had to have a human body in order to be capable of shedding blood, in order to be capable of dying. But another thing we don't hear a whole lot about, that is that on the cross... He not only bore our sins and bore our punishment, he bore our guilt. Our guilt. You know, there's a big difference between bearing the penalty of sin and bearing its guilt. Suppose with me for a moment, if you would, that the law of our land allowed some, some good man to take the place of a man who was condemned for murder. Got the picture? And then imagine yourself visiting that man, that substitute man, in the prison cell, and you say to this person, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry that you're convicted of murder. What would his reply be? Well, he would say something like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not the murderer. I, I'm not the one convicted of murder. I am bearing the penalty but I cannot bear his guilt. Are you with me? We can bear the penalty, but we cannot bear his guilt. But on the cross, my friend, the Lord Jesus somehow bore our very guilt. We, we sang a song tonight. I think it was the first song we sang. And... Uh, it was uh, saved by the blood. Remember that? We sang that tonight. The chorus says this. Saved, saved. My sins are all pardoned. My guilt is all gone. Now, I, I know the song is not scripture. I understand that. But that's very true. He not only took our sin, my friend. He took our guilt. And when God saw him on the cross, Jesus was guilty for your sin and mine. 
He had our sin, but he had our guilt. And when God sees you and me today, if we're saved, he sees us through the blood of Christ. He doesn't see our sin anymore. Jesus took care of that. And we are no longer guilty before God because Jesus is or was. He's guilty. We're not guilty. We don't have to make up for that. You say, well, you're getting off easy. You betcha. We sure are. But it wasn't easy to get what we've got. Thank God it's finished. He said it was finished. The fact that he bore our sin and he bore our guilt, my friend, this is why the Father must turn away from him. And he leaves Jesus to just simply exclaim, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is the awfulness of your sin and mine. The consequences of your sin and mine. God was willing because God so loved the world. Jesus was willing because he laid down his life and no man took it from him. To bear our sins and to be separated from his Father, from his God, for your sake and mine. Not for his sake. For our sake. For our sake. And if, as our Savior said, it is finished. My friend, you get this. If you don't get anything else tonight, you get this. If, as our Savior said, it is finished, then there is nothing more to add. Nothing more to add. Why? Because it's finished. There isn't anything that we could do. You see, the Roman churches today, their doctrine is that we can add merit of our own to the Calvary work of Christ. Now, my friend, that is a flagrant denial of plain Scripture. And it is an insult to the Savior who cried, it is finished. Now, my friend, if it's not finished, you better be working harder than you are. But if it's finished, you ought to be working harder than you are. Not in order to get more, but because you are more. It's finished. And it's finished for us. We, We don't have to add anything to it. We don't have anything to add to it. We have no merit whatsoever that could compare with the blood of Christ that would compare to what he endured for you and me. We don't have anything to add to that. My my friend, listen, and and I'm honest about this. And I I realize that many have grown up with that kind of a teaching that you've got to be baptized or you have to be a part of the church or you have to give so much money or you have to be a good person. You have to do this and you have to do that. And, and, and all those things are good. And sometimes we have to unlearn some things before we can learn the right things. 
But I sincerely ask you a question. If we had a part in our own salvation, then why did Jesus go through this? If we could do it ourselves, if we could merit it ourselves, why did he go through this torture, this, this pain, this agony? Why? The reason why I went through is because we don't have anything to give for it. It's finished. It's finished. You, you, don't, you don't have to add anything to it because you don't have anything to add to it. See, His, 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 uh, his Calvary work for our salvation was all sufficient and final. In, in the book of Hebrews, if you want to turn there, you can. Hebrews chapter 10, and in verse number 10, the Bible says this. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We are sanctified, it says, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. That's how we're sanctified. That's how we're set apart. Through the body, the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Not through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ and something else that we can do or need to do. No, once for all, which, by the way, reiterates in a different way, it's finished. Once for all. Then if you go down to verse 12, it says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, I like that, forever, sat down on the right hand of God. One sacrifice for sins forever. Meaning no other sacrifice need be made. No other sacrifice can be made. No other sacrifice is, is, is capable of measuring up to what is needed for your salvation and my salvation. Somebody once asked a Christian believer, how is it that you seem to have such peace while I, although I go to church, do not have peace. And the Christian replied this way. He says, I think it's because yours is a religion of do. Do this, do that, do this, do that. And mine is a religion of done. Done once for all in my place by Jesus on Calvary. It's done. Or in other words, it's finished. And my friend Jesus said that. If we're going to take him at his word, let's take him at his word. When he says it's finished, it's finished. He said, I don't get it. Well, I, okay. It's still finished. Whether, whether you understand it or not. Real peace with God comes when we really believe on Christ in the sense of accepting his finished work of atonement for us. We need to get to the point where we truly say, I have flung away every other confidence. I am trusting Jesus only, Jesus holy, now and forever. There's a poem I came across that says, Upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die, upon his life, upon his death, I staked my whole eternity. 
Is that what you're staking your eternity on? Are you staking your eternity upon his life, his death, and something else? Well, preacher, I've heard people say, you perhaps have heard people say, maybe you've said it one time, I just, I don't think I can live it. I just don't think I can live it. Well, la-di-da, join the club. Okay? That's not the issue. The issue is not whether you can live it or not. The issue is what are you trusting in for your salvation? What, what is it that you're trusting in and you're, you're, you're basically uh, 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 depending upon or, or you're putting your dependence in for your eternity? And my friend, if you're trusting in anything other than the finished work of Jesus on the cross, you're not going to heaven. say, but you know, I, I got to do something. Yeah, you have to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's your part. You put your faith and trust in his finished work of atonement on the cross. That's the bottom line. In fact, Jesus was the only one who, in the strict sense, could say it's finished. It was a mark of his superhumanity. When he said it was finished, it was finished. See? Uh, the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they didn't think it was finished. They, they had to put some guards over the tomb. See? And, and uh, they, they didn't think it was over yet. But it was finished, the payment for our atonement, for the atonement of, of, of man's sin, see? You know, most people come to the end of their lives with the uh, shoulda, coulda, wouldas. You know, oh, I should have done this. You know, I could have done that. If I knew then what I know now, I would have done this. And some of us are even that way right now. We got the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. But you know, Jesus, on the other hand, he said, it's finished. There wasn't anything left undone. He accomplished everything that he came to accomplish. When he walked into heaven and met the Father face to face, God didn't say, Jesus, you should have done this, or you know, you could have done that, or if I'd have gone, I'd have, I would have done this. No, 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 it's finished. Complete. Nothing was left undone. So when our Lord cried, it is finished, he evidently, I believe, was alluding to the substitutionary achievement of redemption. I think the scripture backs that up. But also, I think he was alluding to the long line of prophecies on Messiah's death in the Old Testament. A lot of prophecies on his death. You see, all of the Old Testament prophets, they're, they're finger posts, all pointing to the Messiah Redeemer, which, by the way, we know is Jesus. Okay? We, we got the rest of the story. They didn't have it then. They, they, they really didn't. See, whether, whether it was Moses, the lawgiver prophet, or David, the, the psalmist prophet, or Isaiah, the 
exalting writing prophet uh, or, or Jeremiah the brokenhearted prophet or Ezekiel the, the visions prophet or any of the other prophets the minor prophets every one of them pointed to Jesus pointed to the Messiah Redeemer every single one of them pointed to the Messiah Redeemer and my friend if Jesus is not the Messiah then Old Testament prophecy is just an unexplainable medley of non-fulfillment. What's the meaning? What's it talking about? Who's it talking about? We don't get it. But the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, well, you put it all together. You see, apart from Christ, uh, the Christ of Calvary, the Old Testament is a book of unexplained ceremonies, unachieved purposes and unfulfilled prophecies. It becomes a revelation without a destination. If Jesus is not the Messiah. Now remember, we're told in the Bible that the coming one has got to be a second Adam. He's got to be a prophet like Moses and a priest like Aaron and Melchizedek. He's got to be a champion like like Isaac, he's got to be a sacrifice or an offering like, I'm sorry, a champion like Joshua, an offering like Isaac, a king like David, a wise counselor like Solomon. He's, he's got to be like a beloved, rejected, exalted son and world bread supplier like Joseph and all others all in one, and Jesus fits the bill. He must be the Ark of the Covenant, the sacrifice on the brazen altar, the mercy seat in the sanctuary, the water from the rock and the manna from the sky, the brazen serpent lifted up. He's got to be the Passover lamb, the scapegoat, the lion of Judah, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon. He's got to be the root out of the dry ground and yet a fruitful branch. He's got to be with, without form or comeliness, yet he's the altogether lovely one not to mention all the other types in the Bible. And all of these, my friend, are perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. You take away Jesus, and Messianic prophecy becomes flat, it becomes dead, and it's a road leading to nowhere. The Christ of Calvary is a mighty fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies that were prophesied for the Redeemer, the Messiah Redeemer. You see, all of the enigmas of prophecy are resolved at the cross. The serpent's head was crushed at the cross. The door of heaven is opened, unlocked at the cross. The fountain of salvation is unsealed at the cross. Yes, my friend, you look at Calvary, it is the tragic, triumphant, tremendous, focal point of fulfillment. Why? Because at the cross it is finished. At the cross. It's not just a piece of jewelry. It's not just a, 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 a picture on a sign or, or, or a picture on a wall. It's a place that actually took place with, with, with crying out and, and blood spilt and and, and, and curse words and, 
It was as awful as we can imagine it to be. We ought to think about that when we sing songs about the cross. We ought to think about that when we think about our own lives. We talk about going to heaven like it's going to Kroger. Brother, it doesn't cost anything to go to Kroger, but it costs a great deal to go to heaven. See, at Calvary, Jesus said, it is finished. His terrible suffering his achievement of redemption is finished. All the prophecies of the Messiah's death were fulfilled there, and it's finished. And one thing we didn't even allude to, we talked to, and we can't because of the time, the work that the Father had given him to do was finished. He, did, he was an obedient son. He did it all. Sidlow Baxter wrote this. He says, finished. Hear the cry victorious. Love's redeeming deed is done. Now the cross becomes all glorious. Now is wondrous triumph won. Heaven's atonement is completed in redemption's mighty plan. Powers of darkness flee defeated. Now salvation comes to man. Folks, it's finished. Is your salvation finished tonight? You say, well, it won't be finished till I get to heaven. Well, that's true. But then again, it's not true. It'll be complete when you get to heaven. But everything needed for your salvation and mine has already been finished. We don't have to add anything to it. Jesus didn't do anything that we have to take away from. It's finished. It's all done. It's there. Well, I, I, uh, preacher, I, I don't fully understand. That's okay. It's finished. You got time to read about it. You got time to study it. You got time to learn about it. There's not going to be any more knowledge. There's not going to be any more facts. It's finished. It's all done. What do you have your faith in today? What are you depending upon to go to heaven? What, what is it that you're depending upon? You're depending upon the church? It's a good church. It really is. You're depending upon your pastor? You were here this morning to hear that message. You know who that's... That's a no-brainer. You don't want to do that. What is it, who is it that you're depending upon to save your soul, to forgive your sin, and to take you to heaven? My friend, you can fill the pews of this church for years and years and years until you die. And you're not assured of going to heaven. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work on Calvary, you got something there. Because he promised that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.
promised that. And how can he save you? Because all the requirements for redemption are finished. Let's all stand. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon from Lighthouse Baptist Church. For more information about our ministry, go to lbccincy.com.